Glad to hear all these conversations. We can continue after. It won't be too much longer. But um, we've got a special speaker today. Uh, thankfully, Pastor Kyle is able to get a little time off here on the holidays. Uh, and we're going to be hearing from uh, one of our members here, Brendan Hitchcock. Again, some of you maybe remember hearing from him this summer. Really great message. Looking forward to hearing from him again. Uh, he and his wife, Carrie, have been attending here for quite a while. Uh, but we get a chance to hear from Brendan again. So why don't you give him a nice warm welcome. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So as you know, it's uh, prevalent this time of year to think about primarily our health. Right? We think about our health. We rewind the last about 12 months. We think about the highs and lows, the, the highlight reel. And uh, we're striving probably as we look for improvements or ways to better ourselves to make a correction, and usually those things center on health. Some of us may seek to be financially more healthy. Some of us want a healthier work-life balance, whatever that is. Some of us want healthier relationships. And some of us might be seeking health mentally, spiritually, or physically. As is no surprise, the promotion of our physical health and fitness reaches its yearly pinnacle. Many people will begin pursuing smaller waistlines or bigger biceps. The regular gym members, at least I'm told there are people that actually go year-round, they are frustrated and looking forward to February when all the New Year, New You people have somehow erased the priority of their physical fitness from their busy calendars. The picture on the screen should be familiar to many of us. To others, it's quite antiquated. It's uh, the days before Instacart, DoorDash, HelloFresh, and self-checkout, when you actually had to wait in line at the grocery store. So this is a familiar scene at the grocery store checkout aisle. And as you can see, it's usually at the end cap filled with all sorts of magazines and periodicals with tons of promises. Catchy headlines. Look at who's dating who. Look at who broke up. The latest financial and tech hacks. The quick and easy meals the whole family will surely enjoy. And without fail, there's always a line about someone who lost a ton of weight or how you're going to get your best body. So imagine, out of all the celebrity photos, the colorful fonts and catchy phrases, you stumble across a simple-looking black leather-bound Bible with a sticky note that reads, Your best body, guaranteed, Check it out in 1 Corinthians 15. So I would be delighted if this was a real story that actually happened. So if I'm out at a grocery store in the area, and one of you has stuck a Bible with a sticky note on it that reads this, 
I'd be super excited. Because I think if people that need to hear it believed it, I hope they'd read it. What may seem to be too good to be true is in fact certain. The truth of a physical bodily resurrection is central to our faith. And that is where we're going to start our journey this morning, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul gives his most significant treatment of physical bodily resurrection. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35, we see in 35 to 41 that Paul offers us three illustrations about our resurrected body. The first one he gives is like a seed to a plant, which helps us understand that there will be some sort of continuity in our species. When we plant a pumpkin seed, we hope to get a pumpkin, right? When we plant a watermelon seed, we hope to get... right. So when our body as a seed is sown, our physical human body, we will get a physical human body. I will be me, and you will be you. We will be recognizable just as Jesus was to his disciples after his resurrection. Paul moves on talking about a variety of types of flesh, that just in the creation, when there's distinct markings of of flesh, those distinctions would remain, again, pointing us to the distinct human qualities that will be recognizable in our resurrected state. And finally, in this segment, Paul indicates that the glory of our heavenly bodies will differ from our earthly bodies. That each, just as the sun, moon, and stars have differing brilliance, each of us will have a distinct glory of our own. We will be the same in identity, but completely different in physical quality. We should be reminded that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined the things God has prepared for those who love him. In our resurrected bodies, I will be me, you will be you, yet we will be incredibly better than we can even imagine. Your best body, guaranteed. Moving on to the next segment in verses 42 to 49, and I do have to call a little shout out to my son, Burke. He enjoys illustrating comic books, and so uh, I was able to have him help illustrate the body sown and body raised and talk to him about what this means. So those are his uh, artistic renderings uh, on the screen. But in this segment, Paul begins to contrast the difference between the body sown and the body raised. These are wonderful truths. We have a body that's sown perishable will be raised imperishable. No more deterioration. No more losing clear vision. No more difficulty hearing. No short-term memory loss. No loss of strength or flexibility. No more aches and pains. No more graying or loss of hair or having hair in patches and places you don't want it. No more wrinkling skin with less elasticity. And the list goes on and on. A few months ago, some of you know that I had my gallbladder removed. 
uh, and I was in tremendous pain. Uh, I told the nurse it was a 10. I have since realized that that's an offense to women that have given childbirth, so I apologize. (laughs) But the pain was severe. The pain, I I crawled into the ER at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, with real physical tears. And it reminded me of the day that I can put on a glorified and resurrected body. I mean, that should give us an amen, right? I also got my favorite question as I was kneeling there in tears, checking in. Do you have your insurance card? (laughs) No more will we be perishing. We will no longer be deteriorating, but rather thriving in our best bodies. Our bodies will be sown in dishonor and raised in glory Bodies that are riddled with dishonor from a sinful, fallen condition will be far different than the glorified, resurrected body. Bodies laid in the ground to rot and decay will only be glorious once resurrected. We were sown in weakness, will be raised in power, no longer susceptible to illness, to injury, to stress, no more physical limitations. No more hunger, thirst, fatigue. I'm sure we'll eat and drink, but everything will have zero calories. We will be sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. The natural body that's bent toward fleshly, sinful desires will be no more. This spiritual body is not ghostly. Uh, Jesus says, I am not a ghost, I have flesh and bones. And he sits down and he eats with his disciples after he's resurrected. This is rather a body that is spirit-powered. Think of a gasoline engine. We don't call it a gasoline engine because it's made of gasoline, but because that's how it runs. So we will run on the spirit in full submission and relational unity to our Heavenly Father. We will be like Jesus. We will be sown of earth as depraved sinners in Adam. And we will one day have glorious bodies suited for heaven as we experience the fullness of being in Christ. These are wonderful truths. And as I thought about our resurrected body, I couldn't help but think about how far or how from the garden to glory, God reveals His value of our physical bodies. The Bible teaches that human beings are comprised of two aspects, a material body and an immaterial soul that function as an integrated and unified whole. In Genesis 2-7, God formed Adam from the dirt, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And Adam became a living being. We see a physical body and an animating soul, the breath of life from God. A balanced Christian position should not reduce a human being to a single aspect, nor divide the person into two interrelated aspects. Human beings are a complex psychosomatic whole. 
The material world was created with order and purpose and described as good and humankind as very good. The body is included in what it means to be created in the image of God. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The Imago Dei. All humans are a reflection of a creator, and our physical bodies as male and female are part of that reflection. This is why all human life has value and dignity, because it's all created in God's image, and therefore should be honored. James says in 3, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, With the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be. All humans created in God's image. The incarnation, Christ, we just celebrated this at Christmas, the fullness of deity coming in bodily form. God stepping down into bodily form, Jesus being fully God and fully man, yet without sin. So our physical body is not the problem. Jesus assumed a physical body and maintained his holiness while on earth, tempted in every way just as we are. And the bodily resurrection as we discussed. Jesus did not leave his own body in the tomb. We understand when something is of little value, when I buy my kids a toy at five below, or you buy something from the dollar store perhaps, when that thing breaks down, stops working, is damaged, what do we do with it? We throw it away, right? But when something is priceless, we work endlessly to restore and redeem it. And so that is true of what God does with our physical bodies. He doesn't discard the scraps. He rather pulls them together and transforms and redeems us. Sadly, the world around us doesn't value the physical body the same way. Too often, our body is viewed as a prison for our souls that just needs to escape or that we are a good ghost and a bad host. The body is not considered part of the authentic self. Rather than being God's special creation, we are simply a result of chaotic random chance and our bodies are reduced to nothing more than physical matter. Valid science acknowledges that an embryo has a full set of chromosomes and DNA. So it says it's human by scientific fact, but it's not yet a person. Being a person is no longer a fact of science, but rather an ethical concept determined by what society values. Could you just advance the slide for me? So we see this, this secular worldview that degrades our physical bodies, stark contrast to what God reveals in Scripture. I am indebted to Nancy Piercy in her book, Love Thy Body. You can go to the next slide. Where she sets out to understand the worldviews 
beneath the, the divisive issues that create our current culture wars. And what we learn is that many of these have to do with the way we view our physical body. In the book, she describes a secular worldview which rips the person into two separate parts. There's two categories of human. There's a human person and a human non-person. This might sound foreign to us. But in it, a human person is, is someone that has moral and legal standing. These are the people in our society that we say have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And being a human person is an ethical concept based on what society values. The other category of human is the human non-person, where we are simply expendable biological organisms, human by scientific fact, but not yet persons. This leads us to a significant question. If this is the way our world views our personhood, the question that we must ask is, so when does a human become a person? Proponents of the theory believe that being biologically human does not mean you're a person. Personhood is defined differently by nearly every bioethicist. No longer objective, but rather subjective each one making their own definition of what it means to be a person. The characteristics they use may include intelligence, self-awareness, self-control, sense of time and a future, communication, concern for others, curiosity, or neocortical function. By definition, some of them proclaim animals to be persons while they discard some humans that don't meet these standards. This should make us uncomfortable. Nancy Piercy in her book states the elephant in the room. That once the concept of personhood is detached from biology, there is no objective way to draw the line. No point at which we can logically say, up to this point there was merely a human, but now it has been magically transformed into a person. So do we measure up based on the world's view? There are real implications uh, in the here and now, not just that it's contrary to God's word and his design. We'll walk through those quickly. The baby in the womb or the young child is human, but not a person. It simply could be discardable biological waste. We can allow for genetic engineering, where those that have the means can pick and choose which genes they want to deploy in their offspring, maybe tweaking their stature, their athletic or musical ability, their eye color, so on. Human beings who don't measure up due to a disability or natural decline are not persons. This leads to the idea that the minute you don't meet the standard definition, you're discardable. This leads to views of 
euthanasia or those that are disabled in some way that they no longer meet the standard are discardable. I have an 11-year-old son with autism. And some of them would say that he's not a person. I know different. Sex becomes just physical with no purpose beyond pleasure and no moral or social consequence. No longer, in this view, is flesh a covenant marriage between a man and a woman in a one-flesh relationship. It can be with whoever, whenever, with whichever gender. We know this is contrary to God's design because he, he indicates that fulfillment only happens sexually inside of a marriage between a man and a woman. We know that families and children do well when they have a mother and father in a one-flesh marriage relationship. You ever think that's why in Ephesians 6 where it says to put on the full armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes, if you rewind, he talks about marriage, children, all the places that the devil seeks to attack us. God's Word tells us to offer our bodies alive, holy, and pleasing. That our bodies are not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. That our bodies are members of Jesus. They're a temple of the Holy Spirit bought with a price. And therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. With our physical bodies. The most recent one that I saw come up in this realm is, and we're getting there quite quickly, is this concept of bot love. Somehow a romantic sexual union with some artificial intelligence. That's where we're going. We, this, this view, this personhood theory view, also allows confusion that we are created. You know, we believe we're not part of our body, but that's not our authentic self. Leading to confusion around gender no longer based on biological facts, but rather feelings that may change at a moment in time. So we see these implications are real. When we devalue the physical body, when we don't esteem it as God values it. And I want to go back to Paul's closing remarks in the chapter on resurrection. Because he offers us some wonderful hope. And it's personally one of my favorite verses to hear at a Christian funeral. It's not that we take physical death lightly. We grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus himself weeps in anguish before he knows he'll resurrect Lazarus because death isn't natural. It's not the way it was supposed to be. But we know... At the conclusion of this section, Paul writes, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is our hope. Jesus, the final victory over death. And in this verse 58, I think we see exactly what we're supposed to do in the here and now. As we live in this physical body that's decaying, and we await the guarantee of our best body, Paul tells us to be unmovable, to be firm. He repeats it. Sadly, when we think about the way our world around us values our physical bodies, even the church has moved, often conceding to a secular worldview about our physical body. He also instructs us to always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. And I'd like to suggest, as some others have, when we think about that work, the work of the Lord, it's not about waging culture wars. It's about a rescue mission. Paul lists a series of sinful immorality, many against the body, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And after listing them, he says, Such were some of you, but you've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there's hope. Those of us here that have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we hope for a physical bodily resurrection, but we've been washed here and now. We have certainty of that future. My prayer for us in the new year is that we reclaim in both our understanding and our actions the reality of God's value of our physical body while we await the guarantee of our best bodies. As we embark on this rescue mission for those who sinned against their physical bodies, I think we should be reminded of Paul's words that he used as he was headed out on a rescue mission himself. In Colossians 4, 2 through 6, Paul writes, Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. There are real implications. And I ask that we be reminded of the rescue mission, that we would conduct ourselves with wisdom that we would let our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. That is my prayer for us. I'm going to invite the worship team up as I close in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning in awe of how you value our physical bodies, in awe of the way in which you stepped into our world and took on a physical body of your own. Lord, we know that 
many of us have sinned and may be living in sin ourselves against our own physical body, Lord. We ask that you would accept our repentance, that we would live differently. Part of the reason Paul writes this to the Corinthians is they have their own confusion. The Corinthian church is acting much like the world around it. Lord, let that not be. Let us have a right understanding of the way in which you value what you created. Let us cling to the hope of a physically resurrected body that we long for, Lord. A body that is imperishable and be united with you for all of eternity. Let us pray, as Paul says, for opportunities to share the message of Jesus Christ with others who are far from him. And they understand his love. And they understand his grace and his salvation. May they understand as they walk around in a body that seems to be failing them, that it is part of who they are, part of who you uniquely made them to be. And that you one day will raise it for sure. It is certain. You will raise it in glory forever. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.